baseball fans. BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free to play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free to play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's going on? You are listening to Talk About Gay Sex. I'm your host, Steve Rodriguez, for part two of my amazing conversation. Well, it was amazing to me with my BFF, Larry Hashbarger. I hope you got to listen to part one. And if you haven't, go back and listen to part one. It was a... I paralleled the conversation with the miniseries that Dustin Lance Black did when we rise because i realized that my dear friend larry hashbarger really his life had paralleled in many ways that miniseries because the miniseries starts in the late 70s in san francisco looking at a time when the um, people were free sexually free and experimenting and having so much fun in san francisco and then of course moving into the aids epidemic and as we left it in part one larry was discussing with me how um the aids epidemic had just hit and um how he had went for his first aids test and couldn't even stay for the results because of course back then it was a different time so listen to um part two here as larry continues that conversation um of the continuation of the aids epidemic but how you actually moved on to one of the largest aids fundraisers fashion shows on the west coast called macy's passport and how he moved continuously as he always does into the transgender movement so i invite you to listen to part two and if you haven't listened to part one it's on all of our sites talkaboutgaysex.com you can definitely go to itunes and google play you will see it it's episode 15 and it is part one this is part two i'm steve rodriguez your host and here we are with part two of sex in san francisco with my very special guest larry hashbarger First of all, first and foremost, you were concerned about your health because there were there weren't 
the drugs that, you know, were developed later. Right. And so you, number one, were just overwhelmed with that. But then you had the stigma that society was placing on you, too. Right. And so it was a very, you know, it was it was a very difficult time. And like I said, I just felt like this whole black cloud descended over the gay community in San Francisco for about 10 years. And even um, after Harvey Milk and, and Mayor Moscone were assassinated, Diane Feinstein was the the mayor at that time, and she closed all the bathhouses. Wow, yeah. And mm-hmm. it was very controversial. There were people in the gay community that were furious that are, because they felt like something was being taken away again. Right, right. And so, you know, it was not an easy time for... Right. For, and I remember, and that's why I continuously recommend uh, the documentary Folsom Forever, <laughs> it's because, um, you know, the, the leather bar scene, they... A lot of them were becoming sick and running out of funds to pay for these doctor visits and didn't have it. And it was what the documentary tells and people like Audrey Joseph and it was the women. And I think uh, when we rise, a lot of the women stepped up to the plate and they created this parade, Folsom Street Fair parade. Mm -hmm. It was a Folsom Street parade. And it was a lot of um, women and and lesbians that stepped up to the plate when many of these leathermen had lesions. And this is the first time that they were going to walk in a parade, you know, shirtless and all with these lesions. And they stood proud. And it's it's kind of um, somewhat of the lost, forgotten, um, you know, history, I think, that doesn't always get told. And I think there was a little bit of it touches a little bit about. Um, the divide on maybe like the Harvey Milk gaze that somewhat pointed the figure, some of them may, may have pointed the finger at like, oh, you did this to us, to the leather community. And so, like you said, I think there was a lot of upheaval, not only from government, local government, taking away things, but within, I'm sure, the community itself that... You right. know, I there mean, was just a lot of unknown and uncertainty. Well, I mean, again, you have to remember, and this is where, you know, When We Rise was so brilliant in that, you know, in the early years of the the epidemic, there was no government involvement. Ronald Reagan, who was president back then, ignored he it. didn't even, he ignored it. He didn't even say the word AIDS for like three or four years or something. And so that's well documented in, in you know, yeah. in the miniseries. And so what happened, Steve, is that we had to, as a community, come together and do something ourselves because nobody was helping us. Right. And so the lesbians were really... Uh, also on the forefront of being part of that movement to try to create services uh, for people who were dying. I mean, Project you know, Open Hand, which was Ruth Brinker founded here, was a meal service because she had, you know, five friends that, that had AIDS and wow. what they was her had name? Ruth Brinker. Wow. She founded Project Open Hand, which is... That. In um, New York, I think it's called God's Love We Deliver. In L.A. In L.A. is Project Angel Food. And so she started cooking in the basement of this church for five of her friends who had uh, AIDS. And that's how it you know, evolved into this huge organization that fed you know, thousands and thousands of people uh, over the years. Um, so the community came together and said, we have to fight for our rights. We have to do something to help our friends who are dying. And then, of course, living in San Francisco, which was one of the epicenters of the pandemic, 
research really started here. Right. And so because of my work with with Macy's Passport, I was... Um, because yeah, what year did you start and what what was your first year of Macy's Passport? Well, the first year that it became an HIV AIDS fundraiser was in 1988. But we had started the whole dialogue a couple years before that, but it took a while to just get the powers that be um, to agree to to do that. And, right. so, and then we had Elizabeth Taylor, her first visit to Passport, who she ended up becoming our founding chair uh, of the event so she, great i'm first... sitting in your office and i'm looking at it right above yeah. here but i also exactly. see a passport um passport 86 across from me over here so yeah. i guess it did start it started in 1983 and it the... lasted for um well i was involved for 29 years i think it lasted right two years after i left but um but yeah, it was an amazing thing. And so we um, started to fund research. And so I got to know a lot of the, the scientists, clinicians, and doctors that were on the, in the early you know, years of, of trying to figure out what the hell was going on. Right. And back to that time when you've got that, you know, newborn feeling you're negative, um, did you go back to having... Did sex change for you? Did you think of it differently now? Obviously, you thought of it differently, but w what was going on sexually? It changed very dramatically, and, um, you know, of course, it, it was complex because you never really knew if you met someone, you know, what their status was. Sometimes, you know, they might reveal it, and sometimes they might not. I mean, I heard your podcast about when you tell and when you don't tell sort of thing, talking about your HIV status. Um, but back then it was even more of a, a, you know, something that was, was a challenge. And so you had to just, you know, practice safe sex constantly. Right. And so that's how, of course it changed. And then just, I became less of a sexual animal, I guess. You know, I got more involved in my career and work and would, you know, have a longer-term relationships instead of these one-night stands. Right, right. And I would imagine, I would imagine that you talk about, you know, why me? Why did I survive? Why didn't I get this? You were convinced that, you know, of course I'm going to get this back, you know, before that test had come out. But I would imagine that your work particularly with Macy's Passport, was maybe somewhat cathartic and, and your way of kind of putting yourself to help raise awareness and funds for all newer generations? Yeah, it was exactly right. We, so many people in the fashion industry were dying. And so many of our employees were dying. And we sort of felt like we need to do something. And so what we did is took this massive uh, fashion event called Passport, and we turned it into an HIV-AIDS fundraiser. And so not only did it raise funds for all sorts of organizations, um, we funded research, as I said before. We did direct care uh, prevention, which was very important uh, in those days as well. And so uh, we funded all those things, and we you know, raised schools and education, right? schools, education. We would bring in young people and we would do 
um, a whole night on teaching them about, you know, HIV and AIDS and, and prevention. And so not only did we raise over $30 million for all these organizations over the years, but we, what was more as important as the money, I won't say it's more important, but equally as important was the awareness that we, we created around HIV AIDS because Macy's was really one of the first corporations to step out and say we have to do something. And then to have Elizabeth Taylor, who joined us as our founding chair, and she was, you know, at that point in her life, she saw herself as an AIDS activist. Right. And she went to Congress. She would testify um, and, you know, founded the American Foundation for AIDS Research, AMFAR. Yeah. She then created her own uh, Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation. And what I think is so amazing, you know, she passed in 2011, but she took all her jewelry, and trust me, knowing her all those years, her jewelry was a real thing. All I mean, those there was diamonds. No fake. Yeah, all those diamonds. <laughs> oh my God, it was amazing. But she, before she died, she had them all, um, you know, cataloged and photographed. And I think it was. Um, it was either Christie's or Sotheby's, but one of them, they did an auction of her, her jewelry after she passed. And all that money went to her foundation. And it is alive and well today and giving out, still giving out grants to so many different AIDS organizations. So even today, she's making a difference. And I just think that it's such a remarkable thing. And I, you know, a lot of young people don't even know who Elizabeth Taylor was. And I'm like, you know, she did so much to help advance, you know, this cause, not just with, you know, money and awareness, but it was about the stigma. She was like all about, you know, standing up for the rights of people with HIV and AIDS. Right. Well, know your history. And I'm so happy that I was a part of Passport, <laughs> not only in the formative years from the educational standpoint yes. to keep me healthy and negative, but also from just seeing year after year uh, the show as just a, an audience member and you giving me an inside insider behind the scenes look with my sister Vivian. And then of course, um, being a model in the show a few yes. times. Um, so funny to see um, Jax Taylor, who's on yeah, the reality right. show uh, Vanderpump Rules now, who exactly. I remember he, he was the same way back then. Yeah. <laughs> he, um, he was in the show several times. And yeah. um, and then, of course, I was able to, um, with my sister, produce sort of a behind the scenes. And that was just um, kind of, for me, come full circle, too. And I loved... You know, I just watched one of those um, not long ago, and it was so well done. You guys did a good job. Thing. I think it was early one, reality. <laughs> yeah, early reality. I think it was the uh, the Keith Haring year, maybe two thousand eight oh, or something. Right. And you did like a whole behind the scenes. It was really. It's, oh, thanks for reminding me on the key. I will post. Um, we have a link farm on our website. Link farm, just anything that we reference that you know, whether it's something new or old, or you should check out, or a book. Um, I will post embed one of those, maybe the Keith Haring one, because yeah. of the, um, videos on our. Because I think you it'd should. Be fun to, and I and, and Vivian and I have just Keith was just you know iconic and his work and art for free and all should have art was just amazing. So yeah. I'm constantly educating about Keith Haring thanks to you. Um, but I kind of want to move into the '90s because you and I, you know, you really got 
the 90s here in San Francisco, the club scene really um, was on fire. I have to say, what were at the ballpark? What are they calling the ballpark now? <laughs> it's, it's AT&T. AT&T, thank yeah. you. Um, Where all that was, and yeah. all the restaurants and all the businesses that are there now was the warehouse district yes. with... Places like Townsend and King Street, I think King, King Street. King Street Garage. King That's Street. where we did uh, Club Asia. Yeah, for yeah. And you became a, a, you know, produced a club called Club Asia. Yeah. A very successful one. And yeah. I was a part of it. And talk, let's talk about yeah. those years. Those years were amazing. Well, so just to give you a little bit of history. So basically in the 80s with the onset of the whole AIDS, you know, epidemic, pandemic, um, a lot of the big clubs just closed overnight yeah. and a lot of people weren't going out at all. And so what happened in the early nineties is that the club scene started to come back. I think with the, you know, because there were more drugs now and people were living longer and education so, was big and education, Remember, you know, things like let's talk about sex and well, and all it, the clubs had condoms available yes, for right. you and that kind of stuff. And so there was a big club that opened in San Francisco in the early 90s called Colossus, and that was sort of the big return of the big gay disco. Oh. And that sort of jump-started a lot of other clubs um, to open. And so my dear friend of mine, Audrey Joseph, who also, you know, we go way back, but she and two other guys had this space across from at t It was an incredible space called Townsend. And it was actually two spaces. It was like a big warehouse, but right. the front was a big club space, and the back was a, a smaller. And the back was called the King Street Garage because it was on King Street, and the front you entered on Townsend. And so, she and these two guys um, had this big space. And eventually, the two guys both died of AIDS, and Audrey became the sort of um, the club producer for that space. And and that's when I was the queen of the night. The she was the queen of the night, and boy, she ran a tight ship, though, didn't she? She ran a tight ship. She did a you know Club Universe, which was the big West Coast oh. club for. I, I think danced it was, there. I think it was like eight years, eight or nine years, and it was one of those. You know, I mean, it Club Universe was on Saturday night, and so what two thousand you know people would descend every Saturday night, and it was just such a an incredible party. But so she produced that, and and she actually had the lease on that space, and so I went to her because I wanted to. I was still working at Macy's, but I was like always wanted to sort of have my own business and do something, and. So I had sort of gotten into the club business through uh, a friend that I had met, and he introduced me to someone who was doing this club, and I became uh, an investor. And then fast forward a few years, and I'm ready to do sort of my own thing. And so I go to her, and I get this this backspace. And so I wanted to do um, what originally was going to be a gay Asian club like dance club because it wasn't right. really a big club for gay Asians but it just turned into being and it was Friday nights and it turned into being like the Friday night experience and so everybody would come right so it was Asian it was it was Latin it was black it was it was gay it was you know uh, mixed too. mixed yeah people other all sorts of people would come and it just was the most amazing Friday night party and so that's um you know, was something that I was just so passionate about. It was like yeah, every Friday night, it was like giving my own party. Right, right. 
And so, of course, you and I had known each other for many, a few years at that point. And um, you had been doing, um, I think, some modeling for photography-type things. And... Um, I was dancing. And you had done some dancing, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think we became, we were very very close because we had become very close. Well, friends. yeah, you used to pick me up on on any given night, and I have vivid memories of um, I lived in Haight Ashbury, and the the Volkswagen Bug convertible <laughs> that you had yes. would come zooming up, and right. my British roommate would say, "Larry's here," and and I would say, oh, "Okay." And I would run down, and that was, again, before cell phones. So you'd maybe give a call before I'm on my way. I'll be there in about 10. Yeah. And I would run down, and we would be gone from early evening into and hopping around the city. There was always some event to go to. We would pop in here. There was a cocktail thing, an art show, and then we'd end up at some of the, yeah. the night spots. And so when you were formulating and, and dipping your toes and this club world of throwing your own it just and i was dancing it became like yes i want to be a part of it and yeah well i mean you were i mean so right for the job i mean i think i said i want you to be the head dancer right. and like so okay so we have to find the hottest go-go boys and one thing i want to make sure is that anybody who's in our ads will be there Right. Night. We're not just going to use some, you know, porn star and then you that never, never see, see them. But I think in the early days, I mean, you were in most of the ads. I mean, we yeah. shot most of our, it was actually. We did photo shoots and all. We did photo shoots and we did some amazing marketing. Our marketing was like yeah. very different than any anything that was happening at that point. And so you were really became known as, you know. The uh, I think we call them the Asia Body Boys, but yeah. you were the ultimate Asia Body Boys. And when I went over to um, Southeast Asia, I was in Bangkok, and I sort of exported this amazing thing called the Candle Dance. And so you became, you know, the star of the Candle Dance. And it was yes, that is a legendary and perfect segue too, because I wanted to talk about Bangkok and how. You started to go to um, Thailand and your love of Thailand and bringing this particular dance, uh, the candle wax dance that we ended yeah. up kind of reinterpreting for um, three people and, yes. and it became a very sensual start and we'd rub olive oil all over our bodies because of course the olive oils olive oil doesn't allow you to burn yes and so then we'd light these candles in sort of a seance way and mm -hmm. and then get into different positioning and drip the wax all over it's over each other and then ultimately turn it into over to the audience which yeah. became interactive exactly and so it had three phases to it um but one of the things about that i wanted to talk about thailand <clears throat> is and your love of it is the sexual freedom that you found there um, you know, things like these acts that they did, they're very sexual and the off bars, which I'm sure a lot of people don't know. And, and maybe for some it's controversial, but for many of them, it's not right. Some of the explained to people like the off bar situations and what that is. Well, an off bar is a place where you go and there are you know, both male and female versions of this. And there are dancers and most of them usually, you know, so there'll, there'll be maybe anywhere from 10 to 50 guys. Let's say we're going into a gay off right. bar and they're wearing, you know, maybe a, a speedo or some, something, you know, Provocative. like that. Yeah. And they have a number on them. 
And so you're an audience member, and so there's a stage, and they're up on the stage, and they're, um, you know, sort of peacocking right. to see if anybody's interested in talking to them. And then sometimes they'll do shows in between. They'll have drag queens and whatever, but just beautiful boys. And so right. you come in as a customer, and you have a captain who's bringing you drinks and waiting on you, and you're sitting on these little couches or whatever. And if you see a boy that you think you would like to talk to, then you can just say to the captain, oh, can you send number 25 over? And so number 25 comes over and sits next to you. And if, um, you know, well, probably you buy him a drink and then you'll start conversing and maybe they'll speak a little English or maybe they speak a lot right. of English or maybe they speak no English right. at all. And that's sort of how the whole thing begins. And then if you decide that you would like to, to have it go a little bit further. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And maybe spend the night or a few hours with this young gentleman, then you can take him off. That's why they're called off bars. Got it. And so you pay the the bar a certain fee, and you the boy will come with you, and then you know at the end of the night you would give him a tip. It's all very civilized. I, like I that. think it's I very think it's civilized. Totally civilized. You know, you get <laughs> both of you getting exactly what you want. Absolutely, yeah. Because you've certainly met of your fair dancers and, and, and boys there at the off bars and you know not that you can speak for all of them but they many of them obviously are doing that because it's a, a way to make a living but did you ever get the feeling that you know they don't want to be there or that this is something that they're forced to do or is sexual in your experiences uh sexuality in this in this kind of work not looked upon uh, looked upon like me like westerns might look at it Oh, that's a good question. Um, first of all, they're not forced to be there. They're there because they want to be there, and they're there because they make a lot more money than right. someone who is doing construction work or something like that. Sure. And so, um, you know, it's not like they're being forced to do it. So it's not exploiting children or anything like that. They're, you know, they're adults, and they've made a conscious choice that they want to do that. Um 
are they looked down upon? I don't, not so much, I think, in Thai society, but I mean, maybe if you're a very wealthy, you know, Thai, you might look down on that kind of, you know, on right. the off boys, as they call them. Um, but I think it's, you know, something that, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's an age old thing. Sure. And it, you know, there's probably more off boys working in America than there are in all of Thailand. But right. of course the way it's done here is, is very different than not going to a bar. <laughs> right. And it's also very fluid there. Maybe not so much now, but in terms of sexuality, I'm sure, you know, thinking of it as gay and straight, you know, you might actually meet somebody at one of these bars that, you know, primarily would go for a woman, but has no problem working in. in oh, for sure. You do. I mean, there definitely were straight guys working in these clubs that, you know, are comfortable enough, I guess, with their sexuality that they're willing to, you know, to be with a guy as well. But what I found from those places is that I just loved the, the feeling that you had when you went in there, sort of a freedom just you know, this, not just sexual freedom, but just the, the energy that was there. And I was so taken with the entertainment, like the, right. the, the candle dance, which like you explained it beautifully. Right. And I thought, why aren't we doing something like that in America? So when I got my club, I was like, okay, we're going to do the candle dance. And it became so popular. And I was, it was so funny because I would, when we were doing Club Asia, I'd work that room, right? And so right. I, the boys, you know, like the Goga boys mostly were in G strings at some point, right? Oh, of Maybe course. they had an outfit, of but course. they went down to G. So I say to people, look, if you're going to tip them a dollar, you have to th- just throw that on the platform. Yeah. But if you want $5 and you get to put it down the s- side. Oh, yeah. And if you have $10, you can go down the back. But if you want to go down front and center, that's a $20 bill. And so it would be, you know, sort of a fun thing. I love and this education. Thing- <laughs> I love the education that you would give people because people need that. I mean, a yeah. pe- dollar you're going to get for, for all the... You know, it's one thing when you just see a guy up there and he's just shaking his hips and he looks bored to death, and but you think he's hot. Sure, give him a buck. Big deal. But, you know, when they're putting on a show for you yeah. and they're working and, and, and we were much lower to the floor because we yes. wanted to be a little more, per what you had envisioned, you wanted us to be a little more accessible. We were like right there. We had spotlights. We were, you could talk to us. We would, you know, so... Thank you for that education. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I'd say, look, front and center. If you're going to go front and center, that's a $20 bill. My whole thing was I tried to, to make as much money for the boys as I could. And you did. And actually, the, the dancers at Club Asia, everybody wanted to work there because they made so much money. Yeah, forget about the, you know, the, the paycheck you got at the end of the night. I mean, it was really all about those tips. Yeah. And that, to me, is why you'd want to work there. Um, so it's interesting. Let's move on, though, because... As the the movie showed and everything, and um, there was a point um, when you had personal friends that were transitioning. Um, We both knew one, and I'm not even sure transgender was the word at the time. And and certainly when you opened Asia SF, you, you had the... The amazing term gender illusionists, which right. we loved back then, of yes. course, Ladies of Asia. But these sort of predate transgender, the actual term, correct? Well, 
I'm not quite sure when um, the term transgender became most popular, but I think more recent. Um, but yes, I mean, I had um, actually, uh, I met someone who was a male model who auditioned for Passport one year because there were always these big auditions and everybody wanted to be in that show. So it was right. a very coveted thing to get to get selected. And we had both men and women and kids in the show. And so he came in and he auditioned for the show. And somehow through that audition, we became friends. And over a period of several years, he transitioned and became female. Um, yeah, I remember him too because he was gorgeous male, just a gorgeous, you know, specimen of a, a male, and then of course model. And little by little, it was just slight changes. I think I would yeah. notice just when I I didn't see him certainly as much as you did, but whenever I would see him, there would be just subtle changes that were the hair had grown and. And I think you had shared before that it, it wasn't a conversations that you were having with him about this change, right, until later, correct? I it mean, wasn't until much later. And I remember we were at Club Universe one, um, it was a Halloween. And so this person had come uh, dressed in drag as a woman. And I remember two things that I was just struck at how beautiful she was as a woman. And then also just like she, her voice was really high, like a female voice, and, right. which bothered me. It's like, why is he <laughs> yeah. talking like that? And so then another friend of mine, I didn't even know, said, well, you know what's going on with, with him. And I'm like, no, what's going on with him? And he's transitioning. And I was like so dumbfounded because I didn't even know, but eventually what happened or is... Or know many people that, or anybody really, right? This wasn't well, I mean, that I was, was aware of, of transgender by that time, I think, I'm, certainly, but I didn't really, you know, I hadn't put two to two together when it came to this person. And so eventually, a couple years down the road, I ended up being with her when she had her sexual reassignment surgery actually in Bangkok. And so... It was uh, quite a journey, and I loved the transgender um, women in Thailand because they're very revered there. I mean, it's uh, not something that's, you know, perhaps, you know, um, it's more accepted there sure. than in Western civilization. And so they do these big, amazing shows, and so I was really struck by number one, their beauty and just these shows. And that sort of started this whole idea of, of transgender and maybe doing something with that community, but that would be for a more mainstream audience. And that was sort of the, the concept for Asia SF. Right. And wow, what a journey that has been. And how many years now has Asia SF been? It's been 19 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. That's amazing, yeah. And and you've certainly had ladies, um, transgender community come in and come out. You've won awards. You have a, had a TV show. Um, yeah. Two seasons. Two seasons on a Fuse Network called Transcendent, which is really a docu-series. Right. And it uh, highlighted five of the girls that work at Asia SF, their life sort of in and out of, of Asia SF. And so that was a great experience. We... You know, we had a lot of uh, fans, and 
you know, it was something that I think was sort of a natural extension of what we have been doing here on, on our corner for all these years. So, and we did, you know, as you said, when we first started, we refer to, and we call the girls, the ladies of HSF, we refer to them as, excuse, excuse me, um, gender illusionists. But then we got to the point where I said, look, that doesn't really describe them because there's no illusion about it. So we started calling it gender transcendent. So I love it. I love it. And certainly as we can, as we know now, the work continues for the transgender community and and (coughs) for all LGBT rights. I mean, with, you know, the bathroom rights being taken away and putting them in the different states hands, which is, you know, different states are voting. It's becoming (laughs) more and more prevalent that, you know, as we rise, we need to continue to clearly rise in the current state that we are in right now. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And I think that's what you get from when we rise also is that the the struggle is ongoing and that, you know, there you can't were become our, complacent. You yeah. can't become complacent. And everybody's going to, you know, find their way to to do that. You know, right. and I was <clears throat> just speaking with the girls the other day and I was like, you know, we just need to keep doing what we're doing because every day that we open here and people come and they experience what we do, <clears throat> excuse me, we're moving the, the needle forward right. on all of that. So. Right. I want to talk a little bit about, um, and as we wrap up, um, sex life, sex life today. I mean, um, you're gorgeous as ever (laughs) and I'm curious to know, and, and, you know, you, I've known you throughout the years and you've, um, certainly I've seen you date, um, much younger, which I am, as I age myself right behind you, I find that, um, you know, if you keep it together, you will attract oftentimes younger um, people and that's that's great and so um, I wanted to talk a little bit about you know for you like <coughs> sex life today and 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 that kind of age gap thing that can exist yeah it's 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 been interesting um, the last couple of years because um, you know when I was younger when I was in my 20s and just coming out I mean I wanted older men of course and then <clears throat> at some point that changed and it was like I don't want anybody my age or older I want right. somebody younger and so I started to, you know, in my, you know, 40s and 50s, I dated a lot of um, younger guys. And then, I mean, today I'm like 65. So, you know, and what was, I guess, you know, when I was in my 20s, I never really thought about being old or considered a senior. I mean, now it's really hard for me even when, you know. Like they've got senior pricing, but I don't tell them I'm a senior. No, I'll just pay the real. I don't want them. <laughs> right, right. You, you do get into this whole thing, and it's it's interesting because I think as the baby boomers age, you know, we always say, okay, well, you know, your fifties are really your forties, your fifty, and it's true. Your forties and fifties are, I think, are some of your your greatest times. But then when you start getting into your sixties and you get mid sixty, like sixty five. And all of a sudden, I mean, the most exciting thing for me about being 65 was that I got to be on Medicare because right. instead of paying, you know, $2,000 a month for coverage, Ugh. I now, you know, pay $134, which is like, and have oh better, God. much better coverage. I love, okay. Well, that's a good benefit. Yeah. That one's. Yeah. But it's interesting as a gay male, especially living in San Francisco and, and now living 
in this age of all the dating apps and, and that kind of stuff. Um, because you try to start a struggle, at least for me, is like, where do you fit into all that? You right. know, and what do you, what are you really even looking for? You know, because when you're 65, you know, do you really want, you know, I mean, maybe, yeah, you'll have a date with someone in their thirties, but the reality that you're going to get married because, you know, it's right. like the age difference is so great that, that maybe that won't work. I'm not saying it doesn't. I mean, I have a, a good friend who's about my age who, who met someone on a dating app who's, I, I don't think he's even 21 yet. Oh my God. And the guy was like, and my friend was like, oh, I'm way too old for you. And no, this, and the guy's like, no, you're exactly what I want. And they are in love with each other. They have this amazing relationship. And so that, that. that does happen, sure. you know, and I have no issues with that. I mean, a lot of people like see a younger and older guy together and, you know, they think either, you know, it's a sugar daddy thing or, you know, right, something like that. But that's not necessarily the situation. And so I think for me, it's, you know, I'm still, I'm just, it's, it's hard in a way because I don't want to, I'm not interested in dating anyone who's my age. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. please. Um, and well, they're not going to look like you. I can tell you that. Yeah. Well, I'm blessed because I have good genes, I guess, in that regard. So I don't, I mean, I keep, take care of myself. Sure. So I don't look like a normal 65 year old person. You right. know, I mean, I eat, I have a good diet. I eat right. I still exercise, you know, I do all those things, but you know, things do change as you get older and, and your what's important to you changes and you're not as sexually vibrant as you were in your 20s and 30s, even in your 40s. And so it's not like, you know, you're out there looking for something every single night. Right. Now, you still have sexual desires. You still have, you see, I mean, I'm like a little boy crazy. So I'm always <laughs> yeah. seeing like I've been around hot you. guys, <laughs> right? I'm like, oh my God. Right. And then being at HSF, I mean, hot guys come in here every single night. Absolutely. And so you have a chance to meet them and talk to them. And a lot of times they're straight, but it doesn't really matter. No. You still have that connection. Absolutely. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting, Steve. I mean, I think for um, someone, especially who grew up in the, you know, in the seventies and, you know, was in your twenties in your seventies and you had that, all that sexual freedom. And then you, get to the point where, you know, you you're no longer that youthful person. And so where, where do you fit into this sexual picture? So where do you fit in? <clears throat> you're figuring it out. You know, I, I don't know that I have an answer. I, I yeah. just tr try to, you know, enjoy my life and I meet interesting people and I've met a lot of really guys that I would say that I'm, attracted to right sexually online like through different you know facebook or different ways and i've actually you know sometimes i'll reach out to them and, and it's great having hsf because i'm like hey have you ever heard of hsf would you like to come to dinner some night right and so that can sort of starts the conversation and then if you meet them in person so you might have some uh, connection that develops and goes beyond you know beyond just, you know, having a date where it becomes a, more of a sexual relationship. I, I'm not, I haven't tried any of the apps 
because I'm not really that to me, especially grinder. It's more just about, okay, meeting someone and just yeah. like, let's and it's have all a about sexual, timing. It's fine. I mean, yeah. I'm totally, I would have done that if when I was in my twenties and thirties for sure. But now it's not, it doesn't seem so interesting to me. Right. Well, I think one of the things is, you know, being one of my, you're my BFF and I've always considered you one of my mentors and you are open to so many experiences. You put yourself out there in so many, your work and, and you're always out there that you open yourselves up to so many amazing, unique experiences in San Francisco and abroad that you meet so many amazing people like you talked about. And yeah. that, that connection, we talked about it in another show um, that's out right now, sometimes connecting is sexy and it's hot and it's... Um, there's there's a sexuality that can just happen by connecting with somebody. It doesn't even always have to lead to sex per se. Um, it can, but just being open and meeting people and connecting is keeps I think you young and vibrant and. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I love being around young people. A lot of times I don't understand them too much and right. why they do certain things that they do. But I I like being around that energy. Right. And so I think as long as you're open to continually, constantly, you know, meeting people and, and looking for whatever experience may come along. And it's like you never... You always, if you, if you, if you wake up every day and you think about what am I going to learn today? What am I going to experience today? Instead of like, I know everything. I've been around this place for 40 years and nobody, it's like, I never even think about that. It's like, no, it's just like, okay, what experience today? What will I, and it's like amazing what you, what comes to you when you're open to it, you know, and you attract that. You attract wow, people. Wow, that is beautiful. And I love that. And that is clearly as we. summarize your life here in San Francisco (laughs) over this hour conversation. Um, that is, I love, I think that is one of the keys to life is just, um, the, the, the ability to wonder and to be open to new experiences and, and to learn can bring so many beautiful things. Oh, for sure. And to me, it's about living in the moment, you know, and I try not to live in the past. I mean, I have an amazing history and Pat I could live in the past every day if I wanted to and reminisce about all this stuff but who I'm not interested in that or thinking about you know the future and what is it going to be like in 10 years when you're going to be 75 you know don't even think about that it's about living the moment being here right now with you this is all that really matters and then your life will be so full so full and wonderful yeah. and if you stop making mental movies about the future and just like you know live today and I think that that's how I've really tried to embrace my life at this stage and I'm you know I'm happy and happiness is you know is something that's here one day you can't always be happy but you can choose to not be unhappy and so that's pretty much describes my life at this point so well I'm choosing to be happy (laughs) me too I'm happy you're here Larry, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation with you. And I loved kind of using that uh, when we rise as a backdrop. And and so thank you so much for being honest and open about... um, I even learned stuff about you. And so if... um, 
if people want to follow you, how can we follow you? Um, well, I mean, I'm on Facebook, so definitely you can can check me out there. Great. And we can follow HSF at... HSF.com. HSF.com. Yeah. Larry, thank you so much. It's been amazing. Um, follow us um, at uh, Talk About Gay Sex. And um, we will keep you updated with Larry and everything else. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Oh, my favorite person, Larry Hashberger. He will be around in season two. Yes, there is a season two coming up. We are winding up on season one. Don't worry, we have plenty of episodes coming up and I will keep you informed. But he will be back for season two. Don't worry about that. And he's he was his open heart is such a blessing to this show. And um, thank you so much for opening your hearts and listening to this conversation. Check us out on TalkAboutGaySex.com. Follow us at TalkAboutGaySex. We are on Tumblr as well. Follow us there and give us your messages. We just want to hear from you. So follow us and we will see you next week. Next week we've got an amazing show with my two co-hosts. That's right, my two co-host sidekicks as I call them. Jeremy Ross Lopez and Steve Carpenter will both be on the show. We're going to video this one too. So don't miss episode 16 when we are all together i will see you soon continue in having hot gay sex i will see you soon baseball fans bet mgm is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season step into the batter's box for bet mgm swing for the fences free to play game pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing if you get a single double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER and partnership with MGM Northfield Park.